God said, let there be light. Strong words resonate. Echo of the waves appear in the sky. The light reflected in your eyes. The sound of your voice. Compassionate embrace. Words never fade away. How are you doing? Everybody good? I see about five of you clap. All right, let's try it again. How are you doing? Are you happy? Okay, look at your neighbor and look at them. Do they look happy? If they don't look happy, give them a thumbs down. If they look happy, give them a thumbs up. Go ahead, do it right now. Do they look happy? All right. You know, you look so much better when you smile. How'd you like to be up here? Looking out there and everybody's going, yeah, all right, just try to impress me today. Right? I mean, just try to keep me alert today. No, you know, today is the day that you have. You don't have another day. There is no promise of tomorrow. What will you do with today? If you don't walk in the spirit of God, put a smile on your face, what do you got? Right? This is today. today. God says you always live in today. We want to live in yesterday. It's gone. Tomorrow... We don't know if it's coming and what it's going to look like, but we've got today. So I want you to begin to live out a today kind of life. Everything you do is about today. God, what am I doing today? I'm living in the moment. I'm living in the present. You know, there's two words that are really, really important as we look at life. One is impossible and one is possible. I don't want to talk to you about that today. Because so much of our life we live in the impossible. We say what can't happen, what God's not doing, or what's not working for me. But I want you to begin to live in the possible. And I'm going to give you some thoughts that I want you to kind of begin to let them sink into your soul and into your heart. And hopefully they're going to just activate some things of faith in you today that were not activated prior to today. You see, faith isn't static. It doesn't just stay here. It either drops back or it moves forward. The way it moves forward is you're constantly challenging your spirit, all right, your spirit that's filled with the Holy Spirit. You're challenging your spirit to go to another level of trust. And what it does is it stimulates the vision in you to see that which you do not see. All right, now here's the first thought I want to give you today. You have to come to a place of impossible before possible is possible. Now let this kind of sink in a minute. I'm going to say it again. You have to come to a place of impossible before possible is possible. Now let me explain a little bit. As long as you don't realize that there is an impossible dimension 
and you go there and say, I can't do it. I have to take my hands off and say it's impossible. Once I do that, I release God to make it possible. But if I live in this zone where I'm not really sure if it's possible or impossible, then what I do is I find myself kind of in a zone of no place. And I'm going to talk about that in just a minute. Because in between possible and impossible is no place. And I really believe that most Christians live in no place. They're not really bold enough to say, you know, it's possible. And they don't want to be skeptical and say it's impossible, so they live in no place. Impossible is a place. It's a place where you move into just as possible is a place. And you move into one of those two places, and we're going to drill down in this a little bit more today and explain it to you. But you see, you can get stuck between impossible and possible. You can get stuck right here. You literally get stuck between impossible and possible, and you find yourself going, well, I know God can, but God's not. That's stuck. Because what you're doing when you're saying, I know God can, is you're really living in the impossible world because you're saying, in my mind, I know he can, but pushes you and keeps you into the place of no place. So let's think about how God works and how God moves in our life. God works by revelation. In fact, revelation precedes transformation. What do we mean by revelation? We mean that God reveals things from his word by his spirit in your spirit to show you things that you've never seen before. That's revelation. This is not knowledge. This is revelation. There's a difference. I can have knowledge of God and have no revelation. I can know the entire word of God and not have revelation. Because it's not something you master with your mind. One of the professors I had at Oxford was a Greek professor. He had the entire Bible memorized, New Testament memorized in both English and Greek, and yet he was not a Christian. By his own words, he was not a Christian, but he taught in the school of theology. You say, how does this happen? It's called tenured. I remember sitting in class, and I was pretty bold. I was kind of the crass American. And I said one day in class, well, I don't even think you've been born again. He said, no, why would I be? Now, I, I only give you that story to illustrate this point. You can have knowledge and not have revelation. You can know about God and not know God. Watch this. You can know God and be on the surface. So you can know enough God to get into the kingdom, but not, not enough, you don't know God well enough to go deep into the understanding of who God is and to see God work in your life in, a, in ways that are supernatural. Our goal is for you to come to a place of revelation to where it so inspires you that it becomes transformation. Now, in the story that we're going to look at today in Genesis chapter 32, it's a story of Jacob. 
And if you know a little bit about the biblical story of Jacob, you know that Jacob, by even his name, was a deceiver. Everything he did from the birth on was to try to get an advantage over his brother and everyone else. His very name means deceiver. It's interesting that Jeremiah says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. It literally says in the Hebrew, the heart is a Jacob. Your heart apart from God is a Jacob. It's always trying to get what it wants, always trying to push itself forward, always trying to be significant. So in Genesis chapter 32, Jacob is finally, Esau is catching up with him. His brother, who he's deceived many times, is catching up with him. He has a vast army, and Jacob is afraid. It's a perfect moment. If you're afraid or hesitant, I want you to know it's a perfect moment for God to really begin to move in your life. If you're overconfident, don't expect God to move. Because God wants you to begin to work on this thing called transformation. Now, let's look at it, and we're just going to look at the first two verses, and I'm going to jump into the story a little bit further. In, Gen in Genesis chapter 32, verse 1, so Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. What an interesting phrase. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 13 that don't be alarmed, you might entertain angels unaware. In other words, you might encounter someone who is literally a supernatural creature but looks like a man and you've encountered a God person. You just don't know. Now, I'm looking around, I'm pretty sure none of you are angels. Amen? I mean, some of you wives are going, I know it's not him. All right. So it says that he, and, and the angels have met him, and when Jacob saw them. Now you see, angels had been with Jacob all along, and he knew that, but this was a transformational moment in Jacob's life because now he's seeing into the spirit realm. You see, angels can be around you and you not see them. God can open your eyes up so that you see angels. In this moment, it seems that, that God is taking Jacob to another level because now he is literally going to see these angels. And they're coming at when? At a moment when he's fearful. In a moment when he doesn't know if he's going to make it through this experience with his brother. And it says here that he said, this is God's camp, and he called the name of that place Mahanam. Now, what's interesting about it, it means the camp of two angels. When God wants to confirm anything, he does it by two witnesses. God said to the nation of Israel, when you travel through the wilderness, I'm going to go ahead of you and I'm going to be your rear guard. When God said, I'm going to lead you in the wilderness, he did it with what? He did it with a pillar of fire and a cloud by day, two witnesses. All things are confirmed by two witnesses, the Scripture says. You have two witnesses that will confirm your walk and your life, and that is the Word and the Spirit. God will always work to confirm those two things. Anything that's said to be of the Spirit that violates the Word of God is not true, and vice versa. Those two witnesses are what keep you straight and keep you going in the right direction. So when we begin to think about this, 
we're going to see that Jacob is now moving in a new plane. You can move in a new plane spiritually, a higher plane than you are right now. That's the good news. Guess what? Whatever plane you're on, you can always go higher because there is no end to the revelation and the transformation that God can and will do in your life. You see, because you are spirit, your capacity does not stop. Does that make sense? Spiritual, you see, there, is no, there are no walls that confine you in the spirit realm. God allows you to extend as far and as deep and as rich as you want to uh, extend in the spiritual realm. So here's what I found out. Revelation comes at unexpected times. You never know when God's going to show you something, when God's going to reveal something to you. You could be just going along life and, you know, things are just kind of normal and all of a sudden someone will say something or God will speak to you out of his word or out of his spirit and you'll go, wow, I just got insight into something. Now let me show you this. Some of the things God shows you are not to be revealed. They're for you. They're sacred things. Some of the things God shows you are not for now, they're for later, and you don't even know what they mean yet, but he just says, no, I'm going to show you something. I'm going to wait for you to catch up with me. God's revelation, however, will always inspire you. When God speaks, even if it's, he's trying to point out something wrong with you, he will inspire you to be better. He will never discourage you. He doesn't bring a bad word on you. People should not be bringing a bad word on you. If they say, hey, the Lord spoke to me and they give you this horrible word, that's not a word from the Lord. That's a word from their own depression. Guard carefully. God is always about the business of transformation. Now, he can show something in my life and say, Phil, this needs to change, but it's inspiring me to better be a better person, not to discourage me and defeat me in the process. So we need to understand this idea that God's angels surround you. See, just as Jacob was moving and all of a sudden God said, let me show you something in the spiritual realm that you haven't seen before. I'm going to show you the angels that are around you. I'm going to show you two camps. You're worried about your brother. I'm with you. And guess what? There's camps of angels here with you too. Can I just tell you this week as you go through life, God is with you and God has his angels camped around you. Amen. Now, let me just take you to a couple of scriptures. Isaiah chapter 63 and verse 9. This is such an amazing scripture. We don't have time to go into the whole passage, but I want to just show you how he refers to his angel. He, he calls him the angel of his presence. Such an interesting term. It seems that God has an angel assigned when his presence shows up. Just like there's warring angels, this is an angel of his presence. See, when God's presence is present and you become aware of it, God has an angel to guard his presence in your presence. The next one I love, Exodus 23. Look at this scripture. Behold, I sent an angel before you to keep you in the way and to bring you into the place there's a place to bring into the place which I have prepared. 
Look at it again. Behold, I sent an angel before you to keep you in the way and to bring you into the place that I have prepared. You know God prepares a place for you in his presence. Jesus said in John 14, I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, watch this, there you will be also. When I go to prepare a place in my presence, you will be there in my place. I go to prepare the place. And he says here in Exodus, he said, I have a place which I have prepared. Now look at this. Beware. Now watch this. Beware of him who? The angel that he refers to here and obey his voice. Do not provoke him. In other words, you don't want to get angels mad at you. Amen? That's a basic rule for all men. Do not get angels mad at you or your wife. They can both be dangerous. Do not provoke him, for he will not pardon your, your transgressions. Now look at this last phrase. For my name is in him. What an interesting phrase. There's an angel that's protecting. There's an angel that goes before you. There's an angel that is giving you a message. See, the, the, the Greek word for angel is angelos. It's where we get our word uh, messenger or angel. Sounds like it, right? Angelos, angel. It literally means a messenger. God has messengers. He sends. He says, here's a message for you. Now, what will you do with it? Now, he says, of this one particular angel, it says, my name is in him. My character is in him. My will is in him. See, some angels are going ahead for the presence. Some are going ahead to give you the character of God, and some are going ahead as warriors or defenders. The thing that we learn is that release is mandatory in the kingdom. You cannot hold on to anything. The more you hold on to it, the more God will pry it out of your hand. I remember uh, when I first started pastoring, there was a guy named Ansel Carruth. And that's not like a good Cajun name. It was in South Louisiana, little town called Wilson. It was, uh, had one street light, and it covered every, t every street in town. And uh, you plug your razor in, and the street lights dim, and and it was just it was one of those great little towns, you know, it was just an amazing little spot in history. And Ansel Carruth was this great man of God; he really was. His goal was to hand out his testimony. He had written it in little tracts, and he wanted to give out over a million of those before he died, and he did. And week after week, he would get uh, letters from people saying, "I read your track, and I came to faith in Christ." But I remember he walked up to me one day, and I was, had just been there, and he always called me preacher. I don't even know if he knew my name. He said, hey, preacher. He was about, at that time, he was probably 75, maybe 80 years old. He said, hey, preacher, you know, everybody in this church tithes. Now, if, for those of you who don't know, a tithe is 10% of your income. The Bible says that's the Lord's. That's not yours. That's his. It's holy unto the Lord. He said, everybody in this church tithes. And I said, I kind of laughed. I said, no, you know, they really don't, Ansel. I wanted him to you know, come up to reality. I'm trying to help this man of God, right? So I'm bringing him up to speed. No, they really don't. He said, oh, yeah, they do. He said, some of them bring it to God and others God goes and gets it. Now, I want you to think about what he said. What he really said was you can honor God with your tithe and God will bless you, or you can withhold it and God will reduce your income by that amount, 
But God will always get the tithe because it's his. It's not yours. You think you're ahead and you're behind because you're violating a principle of God. It was a great lesson for me. I mean, it was just, it was as a young pastor, I mean, I'm thinking they're going, wow, that is amazing. I saw it played out. We had a we had a, a, a Grand Prix at the time. It was a great car. It would go really fast, but I never went over the speed limit. But I remember one time there was this old guy in the church, and he walked up to me. He goes, hey, preacher, do you ever check the brakes on that car? I said, well, I think they're okay. So how many miles you got? And I said, about 70,000. He said, have you ever changed the brakes? I said, no. He said, well, those, those got to be bad. I'm gonna, he jacks my car up. He pulls it all off. And he looks at me. He said, how many miles do you say you have on this? And I go look inside. 67,000. He said, you don't need brakes. He said, how's that possible? And I, I've seen all through my life those kind of miracles because, you see, when you honor the Lord, the Lord will honor you in some way. When you dishonor the Lord, then God is going to find a way to dishonor you. Because his, his motive is not to punish you. His motive is to bring you up to the place of blessing. See, that's what the Father does. He brings you to the place of blessing. Now, let me, let me just take you into this, uh, this idea of release, and we're going to look in the story of Jacob. Jacob chapter 32, verse 24, then Jacob was left alone. I want to just stop there a minute and talk about being alone. If you don't get alone with God, God has a hard time talking to you. If you can't turn off your phone and turn off your music and turn off people around you for a while, you won't hear from God. You have to get alone. You need some alone time to get into that secret place with God. He said he was left alone and a man wrestled with him. Hosea chapter 12 and verse 4 tells us this man was the angel of the Lord. He said he was left alone and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. And when he saw that he did not prevail against him, he touched the socket of his hip. This angel of the Lord was wrestling with Jacob. He was trying to get Jacob to release. He was trying to get Jacob to give up and just stop contending with God and with man. And Jacob would not. And he just reached down and touched the th the, the, his thigh and it became dislocated. And there was some problem that he had from, the day, from that day on until the day he died. The Jews remember that thigh and that socket because even in the Passover, they put the shank bone of a lamb and they don't eat it. It's a reminder of what Jacob experienced. And he said, uh, and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, let me go for the day breaks. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Jacob said, I'm not letting you go. I've never, I've never had a deal where I wasn't blessed. And I'm not going to make this one of them. You're going to bless me, angel, and I'm not going to let you go. And look what he says. So he said to him, what is your name? The, the angel knew what it was. Why did he want Jacob to say it? He wanted him to say his name in that context to say, I am a deceiver. God confronts every one of us when we're alone, and he says, would you at least be honest with me? You best dishonest with others. Would you be honest with me? Because if we can start with me, I think I can do something with you. 
He said, what is your name or what is your character? And he said, my name is Jacob. I think he likes saying my name is Jacob. I think Jacob likes saying Jacob. I think he likes saying I will always win. I will always get the advantage. I will always take control of the situation. You see, you have to forfeit your past in order to gain your future. I'm going to show you something about Jacob that I, I think the Lord showed me. There's something called a life trap. We all get in these life traps. And a life trap is actually a pattern of the way you live. And here's how they work. They, according to all the studies, the people that study the, the, the human personality, this is what happens. It starts in childhood. In childhood, you ended up with a life trap. It could have happened because you were abandoned, criticized, overprotected, abused, or excluded. But you created a life trap around you. That life trap becomes a part of your life even as an adult. It's something that the enemy can use to bring you down. But you have to be able to release it. What happens, they find, is that these life traps that get started in childhood, what we do then in adulthood is we literally create situations in which we will be mistreated, ignored, put down, or controlled as we were as a child. We replicate those. That's why they're called life traps. So you look at the pattern of your life and you see something in childhood and you say, how come these things always happen to me? Because it's a life trap. It's something that happens in the physical, the psychological, the emotional world, but the spiritual world attaches itself to it and uses it to your detriment. You'll see people with a poverty spirit, and they'll all, that's a life trap that they grew up with. They look back in their life, they go, I never had anything, I never was good at anything. You'll see people that have all kinds of spirits of abandonment, and it's because that they developed that early in life. And because they feel so unworthy, they live that unworthiness out, and they're trapped in that life trap their whole life unless they find a way to break through. Life traps determine how we think, how we feel, how we act, and how we relate to other people. And they trigger strong feelings. When a situation arises that's similar to our life trap, it can stimulate anger, it can stimulate sadness or anxiety in us. We go, why am I stressed out or why am I angry or why am I upset in this situation? You don't even know because it's working in your subconscious mind, but you're living it out in your conscious mind. And it's, a life, it's just a life trap. It can happen to someone who appears to have everything going for them. They can have social status. They can have respect. They can have success. They can have lots of friends. They can have all those kind of things. But even in that situation... They're unable to savor life and believe in the accomplishments they have because of life trap. The solution is you have to identify and reject your life trap. Obviously, the younger you do this, the better off you are. You see, as you kind of go through childhood, you start seeing those things in your life. You don't know what's wrong. You don't know why people don't like you at school or that you don't think they like you at school. You say, how come I don't get, how come I don't do well on a test? That's a life trap. It's what it is. It has nothing to do with intelligence. You know, they say that we only use like a small percentage of our brain, like, I don't know, 20%. My dad used to look at me and say, you know, man only uses 20% of his brain. He said, but how come you're only functional on 10? 
And I really lived in this life trap of just, you know, not being able to, to you know, I thought, you know, I'm just, I don't like school. I'm not a good student. You know, I, that was my life trap. And I, and, I, and I like to have a good time. I like to have fun. I thought school was a place for social interaction. Had no idea it had anything connected with grades and study and learning. Now, I know that sounds crazy. I'm being honest. I'm being completely honest. My dad was in the military. He was gone a lot. My mother was just crazy. And, you know, and she just said, you know, I'd say I've done my homework. She said, okay, great. You know, what do you want to go watch TV? She never checked it out. I loved my mother. I'm sick in the morning. She says, fine, you stay in bed. You don't want to go to school sick. My environment was creating my life trap. I go through my first year of college, and I find out that they're more serious about school than high school. I went through entire high school. I never took one book home or studied for one test. It seemed purposeless. I could get like C's, sneak a B in once in a while. I was okay. What's the problem? I'm not here to learn anyway. I'm here to have a good time, play football, and hang out with my buddies. I was in a life trap. I go away my first year of college, all of a sudden I just about flunked out. I go home with like a couple of F's and some D's, and my dad looks at it and goes, what happened? And I go, you know, I don't understand, Dad. I mean, I did well in high school. He's, well, you never did well. He said, I'll tell you what we're going to do here. If it doesn't change, um, I think maybe you should go in the military. It's amazing how quick I got out of my life trap. I got a roommate. My roommate was completely, intensely a student. He got the highest interest exam at Baylor for a PhD ever, even to this day. That was my roommate. And there was me. This is no lie. This is what he did. And I'm going to show you how this breaks a life trap. What he did was he would take the phone off the hook. We had one of those phones on the wall. I know they don't have any more, but took the phone off so it wouldn't ring. Then he would take a towel, put it under the door so nobody could see there was light on in the dorm room. He would close the curtain, and he would begin to study. And I'm thinking, this is stupid. And I would come from the other side of the room and tackle him, knock him out of his chair, and try to get him to quit studying. And he would just look at me, pick up his chair, sit down, and start studying again. Some nights I had to do that three times before I got his attention. Finally, I got so bored, I started studying. And all of a sudden, I found some fun in it. Next thing I know, I'm going from almost going into the Army, not by choice, and to be on the dean's list every, every semester. I broke a life trap. That was a life trap. It was a life trap that the enemy could use so that I wouldn't study the Word of God, but what he did was when he broke the life trap in that natural realm, it opened up the opportunity in the spiritual realm for me to study the Word of God, and it would be just that next year that all of a sudden I began to study the Word of God and read the New Testament through four times in the first month. Now, keep in mind, I only read one book from the time I was in kindergarten until I was in 12th grade. Charlie Horse, story of some Indian. It was my favorite book all through school. It was the only book I read. You see, watch this. The impossible resides in your future. 
The impossible resides in your future. Right now you're living in your present, but your future is one second in front of you. That's where the impossible resides. Can you want to move into the impossible world of what God can do? Courage, courage is always essential in the kingdom. Um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was this one who, who, this pastor who confronted the Nazi regime during World War II. And in fact, he was even part of the assass assassination plan of Adolf Hitler. But listen to what he wrote. He came back and he stood against the church that was complacent. He stood against the Nazi war regime. And, and he was finally executed uh, at, a, at a death camp in, in Germany. But listen to what it says. Who stands fast? He's asking his, his fellow countrymen, he says, who stands fast? I'm going to ask you, who among you stands fast? Do you stand fast? Do you stand fast? Look what he says. Only the man whose final standard is not his reason, his principles, his conscience, his freedom, or his virtue, but who is ready to sacrifice all this when he is called to be obedient and responsible in faith and exclusive allegiance to God. The responsible man who tries to make his whole life an answer to the question and the call of God, where are these responsible people? The crown that God wants to place on your head is for the conqueror only. You see, there are great rewards given to those who conquer. Listen to what it says in Genesis chapter 28. And then we're going to take in the book of Revelation for a moment. He said, your name shall no longer be Jacob. Transformation was happening, right? He says, I have something for you, Jacob. I'm changing your name. When you change your name, you change your character. Your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel. Israel means a prince with God. For you have struggled with God and men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked, saying, tell me your name, I pray. I wonder if Jacob wanted to try to change his name. It's interesting, he won't tell him his name. He said, why is it you ask about my name? Look at this. And he blessed him there. He never told him his name, but he blessed him there. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, which means literally in the Hebrew, the face of God. It was here, he said, for I have seen the face of God, uh, of God face to face, and my life is preserved. Just as he crossed over Penuel, the sun rose on him, and he limped on his hip. On his hip. You see, remember, he touches, for the rest of Jacob's life, he would limp. He'd be reminded you know what that limp was for? To remind him of the presence of God. You need something to remind you of his presence because you can get so consumed with who you are. Revelation chapter 3 and verse 21, it says, To him who overcomes, Jesus says this, I will grant to sit with me on my throne also as I overcame and sat down on my father's throne. Do you realize some will sit on the throne with the son and some will not? If you have this attitude, I just want to get into heaven, then you're in, a, you're in a life trap. You're living in a poverty spirit that doesn't see what God sees in you. 
You see, in Jacob's story, an impartation was necessary. He had to have a new nature imparted to him. He had to have a new name imparted to him. You see, in the kingdom of God, things happen by decree and by declaration. But watch this. Questions. Questions will remain unanswered. Do you know that the Bible talks about children? If we're going to get in the kingdom of God, we've got to be like a child. You ever thought about what a child's like? You get in a car, roll the windows down. What is a child? What's the first thing they do? Man, they put their arm out. They're an airplane. Man, there's this little creativity in them. There's freedom in them. You see, heaven values children, not stodgy adults who are too smart to be creative and to be, be playful. They have a sense of adventure. Children, watch this, live with unanswered questions. If you can't live with unanswered questions, you're not fit for the kingdom of God. What is your name, Jacob said? The angel of the Lord didn't even respond. How many times as a child have you said, hey, mom, hey, dad, hey, don't worry about it. You'll understand it one day. Child has to live with that. You know what that is? That's good. That prepares them for the kingdom. Then you become an adult, and, and then you get this attitude like, well, I, yeah, I could tell you, but you wouldn't understand. You're right. You just become stuck up proud and arrogant. The reality is, God, I don't know what you're doing, but I just love you. God, I don't know how you're working in my life, but I trust you. God, it may not look like it's going to work, but God, I trust you anyway. God, I, it may, life may go up and down and around and around, but God, I trust you. I've asked God a million questions. He never answers any of them because he's, he's raising up a child, not an adult, for the kingdom. Your strongest place is your weakest place. The strongest place in Jacob was his hip. Never trust a man without a limp. There's got to be a point where you can identify and say, that's my weakest place. God says, good, that's where I can work. The minute you say it's a weakest place, and that's when my strength comes. Isn't that good? Paul said, you know, he prayed three times that God would remove from him and, uh, you know, the, the, the thorn in the flesh. And he says, no, my grace is sufficient, for in weakness are you made strong. Let me give you a couple of life applications. We just stand with me right now. I want you just to bow your head as I read these to you. And I, wanna, I want you to begin to process them in your heart. Just as we bow our heads, I want you just to begin to think about this thought. You have to move from the impossible to the possible in your life. There are things right now you think are not possible. It could be healing. It could be relationship. It could be financial. It could be anything in the world. But I want to ask you to literally move from one place to another place. Move from the impossible to the possible place. Live in the not yet. It's not a no. It's just a not yet. And then just receive fully from the Lord. Just receive fully from the Lord. What is the Lord needs to do in your life? I really believe that as God showed me this matter of life traps, that God wanted to break some of those off today. 
I believe all of us to some degree have a life trap. They've shaped us a bit. They've restricted us. They've prevented us from really moving in the fullness of the Spirit of God that he wants to move. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to just to, to pray this with me in your own heart. Holy Spirit, would you show me my life trap? Now, it may be an area where you've felt abandoned, criticized, overprotected, abused, or excluded. And it shaped your world to some degree even today. You know it. You know exactly what I'm talking about. The minute I said it, you immediately identified. You put your finger on something. You said, I wonder if that's a life trap. We're gonna, we want to just break those off today. So the Spirit of God has freedom to come and to begin to move. We've got a team of, a prayer team. You'll be able to identify them with a, a lanyard around their neck. It just says prayer team. They'll be here. They can pray with you. I'm going to ask them to come and, and here to the front. I'm going to ask everyone here who just says, you know, Pastor, I think I may have a life trap, and I'd like to have that broken today. I want to just ask you to just slip out and come up here, and I'm going to pray over you. There will be some prayer team members here that can pray over you as well. But just come out from where you're standing right now. Let's just, let's just give God a chance to work and to break something off. It's nothing to be ashamed about. We all carry stuff. Every one of us, there's nobody here that's exempt. The only one who doesn't see the freedom is the person who refuses to release, refuses to admit. Just come, just come quickly, come quickly. We don't have much time to wait, but we want to pray over you. and We're going to pray that God just breaks something off in all of our lives. Okay, as the musicians play, you just keep coming. We're going to wait right here for you. Just ask yourself this. Has the Lord shown me something, and am I willing to release it? Are you willing to release it? No greater joy than when you release something for the Father. No greater power. Just gather up your hand. Just come up to the front. Just get in tight here. Just come in tight. Come on in, guys. Just come on in. Amen.
Father, Father, right now, we just want to pray right over every person here that has come. And, and whatever, God, that, we're, that we need to release, Father, God, it, whatever we release, God, it's like a sweet savor to you, Father. It's, it's like perfume. Because you say, that's what I've been waiting for, my son, my daughter. I just want you to release to me so that I can move in and I can be your strength. So right now, Father, we come just believing there are some life traps that we, we carry with us. We may not even fully be able to identify them, Father. We don't have to. As long as we admit, God, there's some life traps that I just need to release to you today. I want to have it broken off, and I want the Spirit of God to work. So in Jesus' name, right now, we just break off the life traps over every person here. In Jesus' name, we plead the blood of Christ. We take off unworthiness. We take off shame. We take off poverty spirit. We take off hurt, abandonment. We just take it off. No longer will that be the lifestyle of the sons and the daughters of the living king. And in the place of everything we've taken off, we fill purpose and meaning and joy and power in the Holy Spirit. Receive right now the power of the Holy Spirit, the lifestyle of joy. The kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but it is power, love, and the Holy Spirit. Just receive that now in Jesus' name. Let him fill you up and seal you, seal you, your day. And as you find yourself slipping back in and that temptation coming, just reject it in Jesus' name. And in Jesus' name, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Take on the full armor of God that you might be able to stand against the wiles of the enemy, knowing that everything you experience has been experienced by someone else. You can be an overcomer just as others have been overcomers. And nothing will ever separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen and amen. 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 God bless you guys. Amen. Hey, we want you to have a great day. Don't forget the prayer wall. If you haven't been to the prayer wall, go out there, pray over it, put a prayer request in, and uh, get your sign up for your, uh, your conference from the prophetic conference. God bless you guys. Have a great day in the Lord.